Well, let's continue walking through Galatians, and tonight let's cover the topic, Companions in the Gospel. Companions in the Gospel, beginning in chapter 2. Can we do that? Galatians chapter 2. I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me, as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. In 1974, the Church of Latter-day Saints completed a tabernacle in Kensington, Maryland. For nighttime travelers on the, on the interstate around Maryland, the perimeter of D.C., uh, that Gothic structure is probably a familiar sight to you. It's, uh, it's adorned with lofty spires and a statue of an angel on top. It appears to a novice traveler that it would be a Christian building. But then you realize it has no cross. Now, folks, likewise, the doctrinal differences between Mormonism and Christianity are, are just as subtle, but still very real and immensely important, the differences. Just as their buildings bear no crosses, so their faith has no central role for the cross of Christ. Now, Mormons will tell you they believe in Jesus, yet they do not believe that he is the only way of salvation. 
They also believe things that are contrary to what Scripture teaches and to what Jesus taught. And they believe that ultimately humans can become divine. That there was a time that the God of the Bible was a human, a man like us. He was married. And he appeared before the council of the gods. They're very polytheistic in their theology. And the council of the gods conferred upon him the status of godhood and sent he and his wife, godmother, away to this planet and solar system to start having billions and billions and billions and billions of spirit children, of which we're among them, and we existed on a distant star or planet before coming here in the flesh. And if we're good Mormon boys and girls, if you were a Mormon, this is what they teach, that you can appear before God and the council of the gods one day, and you can have conferred upon you the status of godhood. And you and your wife, who becomes a goddess, can have billions and billions of spirit children populate your own universe, and the cycle repeats itself. They do not claim the Bible is infallible. They do not believe that the Bible is God's final and authoritative revelation of himself to us. They do not believe in a literal heaven or hell the way the Bible teaches. They claim to believe in Christ, but they say that he is not enough. In addition, one must embrace Mormon doctrines and the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, other writings in addition to Jesus. Males control the fate of the family. At age 12, boys begin to advance through the ranks of the Aaronic priesthood, attaining the offices of deacon, teacher, and priest. And then in the Melchizedek priesthood, males can advance through the offices of elder, high priest, patriarch, seventy, and apostle, and these offices afford the male and presumably his family higher and higher degrees of exaltation in the afterlife. And this means that people only reach degrees of glory, not eternal punishment. And all of this can be achieved through Jesus plus the Mormon system. When I use them as an example, modern day example of Jesus plus something else, solutions or doctrines. And that's what we've been looking at in the book of Galatians. Paul's been battling the Judaizers who followed quickly on the heels of the Apostle Paul wherever he went establishing churches specifically in this Galatian region they came in on his heels and preached, well, you know, the gospel that Paul preached was okay about Jesus, but he's not enough. You need to essentially become a Jew first and go through the rite of circumcision and observe the Old Testament laws and ceremonies and rituals, add Jesus to that, and then you can be saved. And Paul says that's another gospel that's really not, the go not a gospel at all. And Paul said, 
If us or even an angel were to come preaching any gospel other than the one we preach, let him be anathema. Let him be eternally damned. Some of the strongest language in the New Testament. Well, in chapter 2, Paul continues the defense of himself and of the gospel that he laid out in chapter 1. As Philip Ryken writes, from, from Paul's example, we learn that the price of spiritual freedom is constant vigilance. He goes on to write, It is not enough to share the gospel or even to preach it. The gospel has to also be constantly defended. Folks, it's the same today. It's not easy to defend the truth in an age of lies. These days, people want to make up their own truth. They don't want to be told there's only one way of salvation. People will be okay with Christianity as long as Christians mind their own business and live and let live. There's pressure to compromise the message on so many fronts today. And so what I want you to see, the message that Paul is addressing here is just as relevant and contemporary in 2021 as it was in 48 or 49 AD. This is a message for today. Now remember in chapter 1 he was concerned to show that his gospel did not come to him through man or by man. He received it directly by revelation from God. And then he said he immediately spent three years in Arabia being grounded in the gospel. And so again, man's not the source of the message that he is preaching. He wants them to understand that. And now in chapter 2, he's going to come at this same thing from a little different angle. While he did not receive his gospel by man or through man, yet 14 years later he went up to Jerusalem to confer with the apostles there and as he shows there was no difference whatsoever in the gospel that they preached and the gospel that he preached. They were one and the same gospel because again, there's only one gospel. And so while the Judaizers were trying to put a wedge between Paul and the apostles, Paul shows in chapter 2 that he and the other apostles were identical in what they believed and preached. There was no wedge among the apostles. There was no division. Now, folks, we've got to realize a couple of things as we look at Galatians. First of all, Satan will always try to sow falsehood. I think in the parable of the tares, Jesus pointed out that while one man went to sow wheat in his fields, the enemy came in the dark and sowed tares among the wheat. Satan will try to infiltrate and weaken Christianity. He'll attack the gospel not simply from without, but from within. And sometimes those attacks from within are a lot more subtle and dangerous. 
Secondly, we've got to understand how critical this section of Galatians is to us today. As you read Galatians 1 and 2, you might be tempted to think all this that Paul is talking about here is just some kind of preacher fight that was going on at the time. And you might be tempted to say, yes, Paul fought with the Judaizers, but what in the world does that have to do with us at Pitts Baptist today in 2021? It has everything to do with you today in 2021. Do you realize had the Judaizers succeeded in dividing Christianity and had they gotten the early church to accept that Jesus was not enough for salvation, that you needed Jesus plus something else, then we would essentially be nothing more today than just another Jewish sect. Well, Pastor, weren't they... Weren't they... There was no Bible in the New Testament then, right? Right. I mean, Paul was it. And this this was this along with James, probably the first two books in our New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how did the, how did the Jews know who was right? They had no Bible. The Judaizers were saying what they were talking sure. Paul. Sure. And sure. I mean, it confuses me. I don't yeah. understand that. And, and it shows you how blessed we are today that we have the full canon of Scripture. Because, yes, God, through the apostles, those men who had been witnesses of the ministry of Jesus and witnesses of his death, burial, and resurrection, God entrusted the message to them that they wrote down, making up our New Testament. So, anyway, he's trying to show that, that all the apostles are unified in the same gospel they're preaching. They're not preaching different messages depending on what area of the world they're going to. Perfect unity among the apostles. And so this is a very important section of Scripture. And at the end tonight, I'm going to show you how, you know, circumcision, let, let's be honest, that's not much of a hot topic debated today, but I'm going to show you how there's application today through this to us today. So very relevant. This is, a, this is a critical section of our New Testament. And we're going to see how important all this is in the book of Acts. When you get over to Acts chapter 15, and they had the Jerusalem Council where the apostles met and all dealt with these issues again and once and for all issued a very definitive statement on all of this. So what we're dealing with here in this book is how is a man or woman justified in the sight of God? Is Christ enough? Do we believe in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or do we need to add other things to that? A Jesus plus something else. Salvation. What Paul is saying a Jesus plus something else salvation, whatever your something else today happens to be, is no gospel at all. The gospel is grace. God saves us by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing added to that. Well, first thing he points out here is just simply a personal visit. In verses 1 to 5, He's talking about a personal visit. Paul says, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, 
and I took Titus along also. Now, probably what he means is after 14 years of his initial conversion on the road to Damascus, and not 14 years after his first short visit when he spent 15 days with Peter. He, he, he went up to Jerusalem four times, and all the fourth time was when he was arrested, placed under house arrest. Uh, the third time would have been when he went up at the Jerusalem conference. So there's the initial time, very short visit. Now probably this visit, 14 years after his conversion. Now by this time, Paul has been on his first missionary journey. He's established churches all over the region of Galatia. Barnabas was his missionary companion on that first missionary trip. And Paul points out here, in addition to Barnabas going up to Jerusalem with him, who else did he take? Titus. Now, this was a daring move in some ways. Titus would be exhibit A of an uncircumcised Gentile who had come to faith in Christ. Paul points out that he wasn't being summoned to the principal's office. He wasn't being called on the carpet to come to Jerusalem. The apostles want to have a powwow with you. That's not what's going on here. He says he went up to Jerusalem in response to a revelation from God. Now, some have tried to say this is the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15. Others, like Leon Morris, John R. W. Stott, believes it was the previous visit to the Jerusalem Council. I would agree with Stott and Morris on that. The Jerusalem Conference came next. That would have been Paul's third visit. And from Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, that visit was a very public gathering. The fact that they had another meeting after this private meeting that he's speaking of here just goes to show how tenacious the Judaizers were. The apostles had to keep addressing this issue of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, several times. And it shows us that the devil doesn't go away easily, does he? It kind of also shows God's intervention in all that. Absolutely. I mean, it magnifies his intervention because they were trying so hard and it came out so there. Yeah. Imagine to where the the revealed word of the perfecting word of God it, it just showed it revealed sure. by God. Absolutely. And that's what he's and God even revealed for him. God even revealed for him to go. Again, it wasn't men summonsing him. God told him to go. And what Paul, the reason Paul went on this trip, because he wanted to set before those who seemed influential 
uh, in the gospel, he wanted to set before them the gospel he proclaimed. It's not that Paul's worried about his gospel. He knows he's gotten it from God. He was curious that his work not end up in vain in the sense that his message would result in a divided church and his Gentile converts would not be recognized. That's what concerns him. I think had the discussion for some reason, had, had the discussion turned against Paul, Paul would have stood by his guns and argued his point until the cows came home. Because again, he knew it came from God. And so by saying he was concerned about something that might be in vain here, he's, he's concerned that the Gentile fruit that he has seen, that they won't end up being recognized. But the result was that not even a Gentile like Titus, even though Titus was uncircumcised, not even Titus was forced to be circumcised. This was a tremendous victory for the gospel. Folks, the very ones who wrote the New Testament, Paul, Peter, James, John, they were in complete agreement. You know, it's a neat thing when the Holy Spirit brings this kind of unity to the church, isn't it? In verse 5, Paul points out false brethren who had wormed their way in. What's he say about them? He calls them false brethren. He calls them brothers because they're claiming to be Christians, but he calls them false because they're not really Christians. As I've said to you before, you're not a Christian just because you say you're one. These were so-called brothers saying they were Christians, but they weren't because Jesus wasn't enough for them. Paul says here, we did not yield to them one bit. They were like snakes or worms or Insects who try to worm their way in, find a little hole to get in through. Again, shows you how the devil can operate. He looks for just a little avenue to get in and screw a fellowship up as far as what a group of people believe. He'll try to twist the word and mess things up. Again, Paul says, we did not yield to them one bit. And he points out here what was at stake. He said, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Folks, let me ask you a question as you sit here tonight on Wednesday night in 2021. Aren't you thankful for those faithful Christians that have come before us dating all the way back to the early church? that have hammered out a lot of these doctrinal issues and been through a lot of these fights that we don't have to go through again today. And the decisions at some of the early church councils when the nature of the person and work of Christ was being attacked. I mean, the early church was assaulted by false brethren for the first 400 years 
about the nature of the person and work of Christ. And faithful believers hammered out doctrine as, as they see the Bible teaching it. And you and I today benefit from the battles that those who have gone before us went through. A lot of people have been through a lot of things in, in church history so that you and I today can can sit here with confidence. Got a question about verse 4 there. It says, uh, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. Well, I was going to say brought in as opposed to came in or whatever. Well, probably because some of them infiltrated and then brought some of their buddies along with them. Brought them in. You know, hey, let's let's get in there and try to you know, come come against this Paul. So come with me, you know. Well, uh, again, he says, so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You and I sit here today standing on the shoulders of a lot of people who've gone before us. You know, we don't exist in a vacuum apart from Christians who've gone before us. You know, it's, it's really to their credit that the apostles hung together tightly. Oh, yeah. And what helped, I think, is Pentecost as much as any. Oh, absolutely. Because they came by their faith simultaneously and exactly the same, each and every one of them. With God, I believe, customizing the message and how they understood what was happening, customized for each and every one of them. They were very different men after Pentecost. Right. Before Pentecost, hiding, scared. Take Peter, for instance. After Pentecost, standing out in the streets, proclaiming and preaching to the authorities. You know, you say what you got to say, do to us what you must, but as for us, we must be faithful. We must obey God rather than men. Radically different men after Pentecost. Yeah, and I think they, <clears throat> this bought the church a solid foundation. But as those apostles started dying off and so forth, I think it really lasted long enough to bring converts, new ones along, like Titus, for example, Mm -hmm. and others, by the hundreds, thousands, and so forth, and they could have the church successfully withstand the assault that was coming. And I think that just shows how God's organization of this whole thing was hard to meet because Satan couldn't do it, though he tried. And I think that's just a wonderful thing that we should contemplate how we can faithfully and securely stand Mm -hmm. on the foundation we have and have every confidence in it that we can quote scripture and we can quote it correctly and we can quote it in a way that honors God. Certainly. So we're able to really serve Him and the church from there snowballs. Well, secondly tonight, I want you to see a providential agreement. A providential agreement. Verses 6 to 10. In verse 6... Paul is not trying to be disrespectful of the apostles. He's just rubbing it in a bit to the Judaizers. 
Because in chapter 1, remember, they're putting Paul down. He's not a real apostle. He's not like those guys in Jerusalem. Paul says, those guys in Jerusalem, those who were reported to be influential, they added absolutely nothing to what I've been preaching. Now, folks, again, I want you to understand what a watershed moment this was in the early church. From this point right here, the gospel of Christ could have been in danger of plummeting somewhat into darkness had they added human achievement to it. You know, as I, as I said previously, modern day audiences might get impatient going through this section of Galatians. And, you know, you're anxious to get on to you know, chapter 5 and chapter 6 where we talk about fruit of the Spirit and, and you know, be not deceived whatsoever you sow, that's what you're going to read. You know, let's hurry and get to those passages. But, but if we bypass these passages and get it wrong here, just think of what would have sadly happened. Verse 6 here. Here, here's, a, here's a God thing. Here's a God thing. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. There was providential agreement. The unity in doctrine and practice that the Holy Spirit had brought about. He goes on to say that the apostles in Jerusalem, far from what the Judaizers were trying to tell the churches of Galatia, because again, what were they trying to tell the churches in Galatia? That the apostles in Jerusalem and the apostle Paul were on different pages. And so they're trying to tell the Galatian churches, you need to ignore Paul. Paul says, no, we're not on different pages. Complete agreement. They recognize that I'm called to take the gospel to the Gentiles just as they're called to take the gospel to the Jews. And so different audiences, but not a different message. And, and that just goes to show today that we can have different preferences for ministries. One might have a burden, you know, to go to the people of Asia. Others might go to Africa, other, other places. But we all go with the same gospel. We have different gifts, different callings, different preferences, maybe who to serve among, but the same gospel. We can even have different preferences in worship styles. And boy, the church has those today. But the same gospel. And in verse 8, Paul points out, it's the same God who works in all of us. The gospel is His. The church is His. We're just His servants. He's the vine, we're the branches. And so it is God who is working in and through us. 
Well, Paul goes on to tell how the inner circle of apostles, James, Peter, and John, extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. Not only did they not take or take away or add anything to Paul's message, but they joined hands with him. And he with them. Again, what a critical event in the life of the church when the church was still young and fragile in so many ways. The only thing they asked of Paul and Barnabas as they went to the Gentiles was that they would remember the poor. Uh, when they say remember the poor, what they're saying might be more than just remember the poor in general. They, they were probably telling Paul, you're out there among the Gentiles winning them to Christ. Fantastic. Remember us back here in Judea. Because we know that the church in Judea was suffering through a famine. Jews in, in the areas where the other apostles were Famine and also Jews coming to faith in Christ that the other apostles were seeing, they were losing their jobs and everything because of converting to Christianity. And so we know that Paul, one thing that Paul did is he's out and about in his missionary activity in Gentile churches. He's, 1 Corinthians for example, he spends a lot of time talking about his efforts among the Gentiles raising an offering to take back to the poor Jewish Christians. And that's, that may be, they're, they're probably not just saying, Paul, as you're out there among the Gentiles, remember the poor in your circles. That's true too. But remember the poor that we're dealing with back home here on the home front. Because Jewish Christians are really suffering. And Paul was happy to do that. And again, as I mentioned a moment ago, he, he was busy about his work getting the Gentile churches to take up an offering so he could take it back to the Jewish people who had become Christians. <clears throat> you know, one thing you see in, in the New Testament you see it as Paul speaks of it here. You see it in the book of Romans. He wept over his countrymen who had not come to faith in Christ. He always had a burden for them. And he would always remind Gentiles that even though the Jews had not come to Christ yet, remember what he said in Romans 9 and 10? To them belonged the the patriarchs, the covenants, the law, the prophets, and even the Messiah according to the flesh. Paul reminded Gentile believers of the rich heritage of Jews. The, the New Testament stands on the Old It fulfills the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment of the promise. What I'm saying is, you don't open up Matthew 1.1 and Matthew 1.1 occurs in a total vacuum without any history behind it. 
There's the whole Old Testament history behind it. And, and Paul wept over the Jews who had not come out of the Old Covenant believed upon the Messiah. But he would remind Gentile Christians who had believed in the Messiah to have some humility too, even towards Jews who weren't believers yet, knowing that, that to them God had given so much. And Paul said, I weep for them. I could wish that I myself were accursed if they could be saved. Did, uh, didn't one of the apostles uh, try to get, like, was it Timothy, who, to get circumcised so he fit into a, a group of Jewish people and he went ahead and did it? Yes, and that's an excellent point. He did have Timothy circumcised because Timothy would be ministering among Jews. Titus, out in Gentile missions with him, did he didn't. So that's that's a good distinction. He didn't want right off the bat, he didn't want Timothy to have a black eye among Jews that they were trying to win to Christ that they wouldn't even accept him. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the case with Timothy and Titus, very different. But again, uh, Paul would, Paul would remind us that we, we, need, we need to pray for the Jews. But the Jews who had already come to Christ, he was eager to help them with benevolent needs. The Jews who had not come to Christ, he was heartbroken and still prayed for their salvation. Again, it reminds us of spiritual heritage issues, doesn't it? And how much we really do stand on the shoulders of people who've gone before us. Uh, you know, we're told in Romans 11 that when the times of the Gentiles are over, God's going to stir the Jew to jealousy, and Paul says a complete number of them will come to Christ and be saved. God's going to do something to bring the Jew to Christ. Apparently, in increasing numbers... Even though he's already been doing this through the church age anytime a Jew comes to Christ. But apparently from what he says in Romans 11, this is a, evidently going to accelerate. And so there's, there's this heartbeat that he always had for his countrymen. And he was praying for them. You know, when we think of Israel today and all they face in the Middle East with hostile Islamic neighbors like Iran and Syria. We need to pray for them. But we need to pray especially that their eyes would be open that they would come to Jesus. Now, as we wrap up tonight, listen to what Philip Riken says once again. He says, Circumcision is no longer a hot topic for the church, but the deeper issue here is still relevant. Paul regarded circumcision as standing for the entire law. It represented law-keeping in general. Thus the apostle was fighting for something fundamental to, to Christianity at all times and in all places. What does it take to become a first-class member of God's family? It is simply a matter of faith in Christ or 
Is there something else to it? No. Every Christian is saved exactly the same way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Therefore, he concludes his thought in that paragraph by saying, there can be no discrimination in the church. Some lessons I'll leave you with tonight. Number one, Jude 3 says that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. Again, we preach it, we share it, but folks, we are also called upon to defend it, to defend the gospel. And if you're going to do that, you've got to know it. And you've got to know God's Word. Second lesson, Satan attacks not only from without, but from within. I mentioned that earlier. Third lesson, truth is under fire today as much as at any time. Satan knows that truth matters, and so he attacks it. And then lastly, it's a beautiful providential thing when the church stands in unity for the truth of the gospel. Need me to say those again? Got them? It's interesting how Satan uses a lot of the same tricks oh, yeah. over and over and over. When you talk about consistency and so forth and when you're being attacked consistently you got to be strong to keep your message from slipping at all because I'll tell you at one time the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association was a handful of people but what happened over the years is what a consistent gospel message. Year after year, crusade after crusade, he kept the message simple and I think that is what has caused that organization to bloom. Now I pulled that one out but I could name several sure. that have grown the same way but it's pretty obvious that the most successful one it seems like at least in sheer numbers has been BGEA. And you look at Pastor Graham and you see that he's simple, simple, simple. And they'll all tell you when you read biographies and histories about the organizations, the attacks that they have endured, continue to endure, the hurdles they've had to overcome because Satan does attack the truth. And he tries to stop the gospel from getting out. So again, we have to be vigilant. You what? Um, well, what was his name from Edwards. I mean, isn't that that's how he lost his church, wasn't it? Jonathan Edwards. That yeah. unbelief. They let unbelievers join. <clears throat> Next thing you know, they were voted out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's one of the he's the key pastor in American history, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. Uh, there, for a couple of decades, voted out, like you say. 
what came into the church didn't like what he was preaching the gospel he's gone so we've got to be vigilant because the enemy is vigilant I got a fear of that what is that? I just said so you can vote out a pastor <laughs> <laughs> just happens all the time <laughs> To hear <laughs> Are you heading at something? But you know, I think of something that happened in the Charlotte area. I won't name names the past couple of years. One of the most respected pastors in the Charlotte area, huge church. Uh, guys on the radio constantly, that their church had like seven locations around Charlotte. A new group came in new group came in, didn't like him anymore. And I mean, all that history, all those decades, all his faithful work, they kicked him to the curb. It's, it's sad. It's sad what happens. It really is. Of course, I mean, he landed down, started another church, and a big group went with him, and they're flourishing. But I'm just saying that it happens. Yeah. Jonathan Edwards is a, whoo, that's a key example. When you think of the influence on the Great Awakening that Edwards had. It's like Satan uses the same methods over and over. What was the very first lie told by Satan? Has God really said? Put doubt. What was he doing in the church age? In the new church? Putting doubts. Oh, you don't really think that's all there is to it, do you? No, you really need to add this and this and this, blah, blah, blah. You know? yeah. Doubt. Yeah. That is a, a, uh, an emotion that people really have a hard time with. Yeah. And he loves it. And he uses it. Okay. Well, I know they were going to finish up a little earlier outside. Is anybody in here... Waiting on those. If somebody in here is waiting on a wanna come to a close, you may want to slip out if you need little people to go, grandchildren or anybody to go get, because they were going to finish up a little early tonight. So we'll try to do the same, maybe 10 or 15 minutes early. But remember our list here, and uh, Richard, get us started in our third time if you would like to, sir. Dear Lord, we, we come here because you're here, Lord. And, and, and never a man spoke like you did. No, never a man did the things you do. And Lord, we just uh, thank you that you're our God. And, and you made, uh, through your Holy Spirit, you work through man. And uh, you made the scriptures available to us and to touch our lives and, and Lord uh, we ask that you would continue to uh, minister to uh, to the people that were mentioned uh, on the board so many hurts and uh, problems and Lord that uh, <laughs> humanly some of these uh, prayer requests seem impossible but you are the God of the the impossible, and you could, uh, you you know each and every individual here and their needs and their prayer requests. And, and Father, we lift 
is in your word. And uh, Lord, we know that the devil would attack. We pray, especially for the folks there in, uh, going to go to Alaska and keep them safe. There's a lot of things that, you know, could go wrong, but uh, Lord, we, because we pray, uh, we pray to you. And, uh, you you hear our prayers. We we know you keep them safe in your in your hand, and uh, we ask that they would accomplish much through their ministry, and uh, for uh, our our missionary here that's looking for a, a place uh, where you could put them, Lord, uh, you would reveal to them soon, Lord, meet its needs, and uh, show them the way, Lord. Right, right now. It doesn't seem to be an opening, but Lord, you, you, you would uh, present that to him and that uh, you would bless him and his wife and, uh, and many, many others through the ministry that you have for him. And Lord, uh, pray for uh, the pastor and the leadership here that you would uh, keep them from falling into any traps that the world <coughs> is very... Uh, very scheming and uh, very, they like to twist the truth. And help us to hold on to the simple truths that have changed our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.